Hello and welcome to the Drink In Geek Out podcast. This is a show where we drink beer and geek out. And I'm your host, Saf, this week, and I am all by myself here to talk about The Punisher. But first, I want to note that this would normally be a light episode, but we as a group decided to discontinue the whole light episode thing, which initially started out just to be kind of a way to differentiate between the episodes where the full crew is involved with from the episodes where it's just like one or two host talking about something geeky. But now that uh, we don't all live in the same city anymore, it's hard to do episodes with all four hosts. And to be honest, there's not much difference besides that. So in order to cut down on some of the confusion, we figured let's just stop with the whole light episode numbering thing and go back to just standard episodes. The only stipulation I said was that on the what would be classified in the past as a light episode, we would have to still do the in-beer and the out-beer segments. Because on those, they were, we tried to make them a little shorter and just do one beer. But they, some of the times, most, mostly my fault, they ended up going over an hour longer than some of our uh, regular episodes. So in order to make things less confusing for new listeners and easier for me to remember what episode number we're on, we decided to just get rid of those, and so that's why this is episode 43 instead of light episode 29, I believe. See, I can't remember these things. Um, but like I said, I will be talking about The Punisher, and I've got an in-beer from Bloomington Brewing Company and an out-beer from Iron Line, yeah, Iron Line Brewing, which will be coming up later. Um, obviously, I can't really do the Strange Brew segment by myself. That would be a little difficult for me to try to pour myself a beer and then guess what it was. Uh, and, I don't know, a couple weeks ago we were talking about Strange Brew segments, that it was hard to find Strange Brews. <laughs> the longer we be, we do this, it's stuff we find isn't strange anymore. So we may be retooling that. I don't know. If you have any, I, I kind of want to keep it a kind of a game, a guessing game, or some sort of fun, I don't know, thing to keep it a little different from just the normal taste beer and rate it. So whether that's a compare and contrast, or like maybe try to guess what hops are in this IPA, or I don't know, if you guys have any ideas of some way to make it a kind of a game out of tasting beer... Hit us up on all of our social media. On You can tweet it to us or put it on our Facebook page or whatever. We're at Drink and Geek Out or email us, drinkandgeekout at gmail.com. Also, I want to mention before I start this Punisher talk, Dustin is working on a new website for us. Um, I created the current website and it's I don't have the skills he does. So if you have any ideas of what you want to see on there, shoot them to us and maybe we'll try to fit them in. I don't know, we try to make it more of a community, maybe a discussion, so if you have any ideas for us, just reach out to us, we'd love to hear from you. Alright, now I think that's all my little 
bips and bobs I wanted to get to. So let's start talking about The Punisher. The Punisher was conceived of by Jerry Conway, writer of The Amazing Spider-Man, who helped design the character's distinctive costume. As Conway recalled in 2002, that in the 70s, when I was writing comics at DC and Marvel, I made it a practice... I made it a practice to sketch my own ideas for our costumes of a new characters, heroes, and villains, which I offered to the artist as a crude suggestion representing the image I had in mind. I had done that with the Punisher at Marvel. Conway had drawn a character with a similar death's head skull on one breast. Marvel art director John Romita Sr. took the basic design, blew up the skull to a huge size, taking up the character, most of the character's chest, Amazing Spider-Man, Amazing Spider-Man penciler Ross and Andrew was the first artist to draw the character for publication. Stan Lee, then editor-in-chief, recalled in 2005 that he had suggested the character's name. Jerry Conway was writing a script and he wanted a character that would turn out to be a hero later on, and he came up with the name The Assassin. And I mentioned that I don't think we could ever have a comic book where the hero would be called the assassin because there's just too much of a negative connotation to the word. And I remember that some time ago I had had a relatively unimportant character who was one of the cosmic antagonists, Galactus's robot, and I had called him the Punisher. And it seemed to me that was a good name for the character Jerry wanted to write. So I said, why not call him the Punisher? And since I was the editor, Jerry said, okay. That's a little bit about the creation. And I also, next here, I want to talk about his first appearance. Appearing for the first time in The Amazing Spider-Man number 129 on February 1974. The Punisher was initially an antagonist of the titular hero. He is portrayed as a bloodthirsty vigilante who has no qualms about killing gangsters something that most superheroes of the time refrain from doing. J. Jonah Jameson describes him as the most newsworthy thing to happen in New York since Boss Tweed. In in this appearance, the Punisher is determined to kill Spider-Man, who is wanted for the apparent murder of Norman Osborn. The Punisher is shown as a formidable fighter, skilled marksman, and able strategist. All he reveals about himself is that he is a former U.S. Marine. He had a fierce temper, but also shows signs of considerable frustration over his self-appointed role of killer vigilante. He is engaged in extensive soul-searching as to what is the right thing to do. Although he has few qualms about killing, he is outraged when... His then-associate, the Jackal, apparently kills Spider-Man by treacherous means rather than in honorable combat. Spider-Man, who is himself no stranger to such torment, concludes that the Punisher's problems made his own seem like a birthday party. The character was a hit with readers and started to appear on a regular basis, teaming up with both Spider-Man and other heroes such as Captain America and Nightcrawler throughout the 70s and early 80s. Conway said the Punisher's popularity took him by surprise as he had intended him only as a second-tier character. During his acclaimed run on Daredevil, writer and artist Frank Miller made use of the character contrasting his attributes and version of vigilante action to that of the more liberal character of Daredevil, which 
we got to see a lot of that in season two of Daredevil, which we've talked about on our Defenders podcast, so I'm not going to go into that too much, but I just wanted to point that out, that they kind of got a lot of their ideas for that second season from the Frank Miller run. So as far as the reception of the character goes, Punisher was named the 19th greatest comic book character of all time by movie magazine Empire, saying that he is the grimmest and most compelling characters and praising the Punisher Max series. IGN ranked Punisher number 27 in the top 100 comic book hero, describing him as no superhero. He is ranked number 39 in the Wizard magazine's top 200 comic book characters. IGN later listed the Punisher series as number 15 in their 25 best comic book runs of the decade, praising Garth Ennis' 10-year timeline of the character. All right, next up, I want to mention the movies that star the Punisher or whatever, the Punisher movies. You know what I'm saying. There was one with Dolph Lundgren that came out in 1989. I've never seen that one, so, I mean, that's all the, that's, that's my uh, complete rundown of that movie. Um, I've never seen it. I don't, I'm, I'm probably going to look it up and try to find it on YouTube or something and bootleg it because I'm curious what that is. But in 2004, there was a movie starring Thomas Jane. And at the time, I really loved that movie. I don't know if it holds up. I haven't seen it in a while. I remember John Travolta's the like main bad guy in that. He's a pretty good bad guy from what I remember. But I mean, I don't think that movie does the character complete justice just it feels like it's it should have been a hard r and i don't remember what it actually was i think it was pg-13 i mean it could have been r but they didn't fully realize what the character was there was a like a 10 minute short that tom jane did later that you can find it on youtube it's called dirty laundry and that is amazing that's what that movie should have been it didn't quite do that, but I, re- I, ju- I actually just stopped it, this podcast and watched that short again because it's been years since I've seen it, and it is great. Like, It's basically him stopping at the street that's overrun by gang, a gang, and he's doing his laundry, and then the gang's like picking on prostitutes. Or, well, I don't think that's the politically correct term, but um, sex workers, is that the right term? I don't remember. I'm sorry, but and they they start picking on this little kid, and he gets fed up with it finally, and comes out of this little store with a bottle of Jack and basically kills like ten guys with it, and it's pretty badass. Then at the end, he drops his shirt, and the kid's like, "You drop this," and he tells him to keep it, and the kid looks at it, and it's got the skull, it's the it's the Punisher shirt, it's got the logo right on the front, so. That's you don't know that it's a Punisher short. I mean, it's kind of obvious, but that's kind of like, yeah, this is the Punisher. Um, I tried to look up what it was rated, but I I don't see a rating on YouTube. But I uh, Wikipedia. I'm talking about the movie again. Sorry. Uh, and then there was a kind of remake, uh, sequel. I don't know what it was. There was a second, well, I guess a third Punisher movie. That came out in 2008, starring Ray Stevenson, and I actually I saw that I didn't see this until a couple years ago, 
but I think I actually prefer that movie. It does a lot of the stuff I f- the feel I feel like the first one was afraid to do. It's a lot more violent. That there's a lot more like action scenes and him going after people and getting justice and stuff like that. And I don't know. I think it's it's kind of got like some cheesy villains in it. It's kind of like comic booky in that way, just like the over the top villains, you know. But I love like the over top action and all that. I think it's great. So, actually, out of all that, I'd I'd recommend the the Tom Jane short and that uh, Punisher War Zone. Really, I think they're both really good. Uh, moving on to the Netflix series. Marvel's The Punisher, or simply The Punisher, is an American web television series created for Netflix by Steve Lightfoot. The series is produced by Marvel Television in association with ABC Studios and Bohemian Risk Productions with Lightfoot serving as the showrunner. Since the early 2000s, Lightfoot has worked on a number of high-profile television series as a producer and writer, including Casualty, Taggart, House of Saddam, Camelot, Transporter the Series, Hannibal, and Narcos. I've seen none of those, but I hear really good things about Hannibal and Narcos, so I might be checking those out if they're on par with what this Punisher series was. Not to give any of my thoughts away early, but I liked it. Uh, A television series centered on the Punisher received a uh, pilot commitment at Fox in 2011, but the project fell through. In 2015, Barenthal was cast as the character, John Barenthal, that is, was cast as the character to appear in the second season of Daredevil. Development on a spinoff titled The Punisher began by January 2016, before the second season of Daredevil was even released. So, I didn't realize that. I thought the second season, or the, the Punisher series was picked up because the character was so popular in Daredevil, but I guess they had already started developing the season before uh, Daredevil 2 even premiered, so, hmm, interesting. In 2016, Marvel and Netflix ordered the series, confirmed Barenthal's involvement, and announced Lightfoot as executive producer and showrunner. Filming began in New York City in October 2016 and concluded in April 2017. The Punisher premiered in New York City on November 6th, with a full season of 13 episodes released on November 17, 2017 on Netflix. In December 2017, the series was renewed for a second season, which I am really looking forward to. The plot of this first season is Frank Castle, known throughout New York City as the Punisher, after exacting vengeance on those responsible for the death of his family, uncovers a larger conspiracy beyond what was done to his family, him and his family. So basically he killed the person, he thought he killed the person responsible for his family's death, but he realized it's much deeper than that. Uh, I'm going to go through like I do, I think I did this with Iron Fist also, just go down through the characters and tell what I liked about them and then kind of what I liked overall at the end. As the main character, John Barenthal, plays Frank Castle slash The Punisher, it, if you didn't know that, you should rewatch the series, I guess. Barenthal studied all the previous portrayals, saying, Once you devour and eat up as much as you can, my way is to make it as personal as possible. On how Castle resonates with him, Barenthal said, He ain't got a fucking cape. He ain't got any superpowers. He's a fucking tortured, angry father and husband 
who's living in the unbelievable world of darkness and loss and torment. Barenthal added he would be a military component in the series since Castle is a soldier. The series will be somewhat centered on that. He also stated that the character that was portrayed on Daredevil Season 2 was sort of the origin tale of how this guy became the Punisher, why he put on the vest. Barenthal noted he always wanted to preserve the essence of Castle, who Barenthal described as brutal, damaged, and tortured by exploring the pain and that and what's behind the violence and the reason why he's committing the violence that is utterly satisfying and addictive for him. So I may have mentioned this when we talked about Daredevil Season 2. At first, when I heard about this casting, I was not super excited about it because I really knew John Barenthal as Shane from The Walking Dead, and he was just an asshole and like a horrible guy and just seeing his face i he's very got a very punchable face in that show so i I didn't know if that would translate over to this uh, the punisher or if he could overcome that but once i saw him in that first episode on daredevil i knew that it was the right choice i think he's great as his character and i even read an article about him online i think it was empire magazine or something but he he really is this character in real life. Like, I mean, not to the extent where he's out there killing people, but he was always like the protector of his brothers and stuff like that. And I mean, he has had run-ins with the police and been arrested. And he's almost he almost killed a guy one time where this guy was antagonizing him and following him. And Barenthal told him to kind of fuck off, leave me alone, or if you don't you're going to regret it. And the guy kept following him and pursuing him. So he turns around and knocks him out with one punch and sent him to the hospital. And he, the guy almost died, but I know I shouldn't laugh. He pulled through and he was an asshole. He deserved it. The, the cops even told him like, if this guy doesn't pull through, you're going to jail for the rest of your life. And that's when he kind of just decided to turn his life around and take seriously his acting and like, I don't know, be contribute to society more than he was. I think it was probably the best. <laughs> it's really, I don't know, I think he's perfect for this role, and I'm I'm actually kind of glad that he ended up with uh, being Frank Castle. Moving on to, I'm not sure how to pronounce her name, or his name, sorry, Eben Moss Backretch as David Lieberman, a.k.a. Micro, He's a former NSA analyst who assists Castle after faking his death. Regarding Micro's relationship with Castle, Moss Backratch, I don't, I don't know, said, We have found ourselves with common enemies, and it's a marriage of convenience. He also felt that the comics version of the character was a one-trick pony, just supplying equipment for Castle, but that this character gets... Interesting when the relationship gets bad and hope to explore that in the series. And which is true. I'm I've never really read the comics, but I've heard of Micro and he was kinda just the guy supplying all the weapons to Punisher and stuff like that. And here in the the movie, or whatever you want to call it, the the series, the thirteen episodes, he really gets to shine and kinda grow and 
become more of an asset and they form more of a bond slowly. It it doesn't start off that great between the two of them. He does uh Punisher ends up torturing him for like a whole episode. But I think they eventually become more linked and start like a friendship and I'm curious to see if that will continue in season two. I imagine it will. I'll get to that more once I get through this because I have some thoughts on season two. Next, there's Ben Barnes as Billy Russo, Castle's former best friend from when he served uh, in USMC Force Recon. Russo now runs Anvil, a private military corporation. And I believe it was like the second episode I was like, this guy's going to end up being a bad guy. I don't trust him. I don't know why. I think, I don't know if it was his smile or what. I did not trust him and not recognizing the name from the comics or anything. Um, I I didn't have any idea that way, but I just had a feeling that he wasn't going to be a, end up a good guy. And also a lot of these series tend to have a guy with similar strengths as the villain. Like, you know, in Iron Man, it's all the guy, the first Iron Man, he fights the guy in an iron suit and the Hulk movie, he just fights like a bad Hulk and stuff like that. It's always like the same character, just a little, just the bad version of the hero. And that's basically how I saw him turning. In the comics, however, Billy Russo is a mafia hitman who prided himself on his looks until Frank Castle threw him face first through a plate glass window, thus becoming Jigsaw which I will get to more in my Season 2 predictions. Next, I have Amber Rose Riva as Dina Madani, an Iranian-American Department of Homeland Security agent stationed in Afghanistan who returns to New York City for an investigation that leads her to cross paths with Castle. Riva noted that Madani sees herself as American. That's what her being is. That's what she wants to protect. That's why she does what she does. As Madani is not based on a character from the comics, Riva's research was based on more homeland and what it's like for those people. And the logical process, processes the character would be going through. I think for a lot of actors, if you're playing someone from comics, you probably feel you have some sort of responsibility to represent this character in a light that reflects how they were represented in the comics. Because I didn't have that, it's probably let me to be more open in my representation. Riva spoke with actual Homeland officers as well as Iranian people to make that part of the character authentic. A special shotgun was made for Riva to use, designed for her stature. I liked her. I didn't like her at first. But as the series went on, I, I appreciated her more. I felt like that character was grew into like a stronger character. But at first, I think it's noticeable that this whole, like, all these characters from the homeland aren't part of the comic books because they seem kind of almost tacked on in a way. I don't, I don't want to say tacked on, but it just seems like they're not part of the castle story, which they aren't at the beginning, and they kind of cross paths later, so it, it kind of all meshes together. But at first, to to me anyway, I was kind of like 
I don't care about this Homeland Security operations. Just get me back to Frank Castle. I want to see more of him doing his thing, beating up criminals, uh, kicking them into cement mixers or whatever. <laughs> like, I wanted more of that throughout this series, which I think we'll get to more in the second season. Again, I'll wait and talk about that later. Next, Michael Nathanson as Sam Stein, a Department of Homeland Security agent and Madani's partner. I liked this guy. I I, th- I thought he was a good like partner and person for Madani to bounce ideas off of and like trust in. And I was a little upset when they killed him off. I I will admit, but also I would. It's that thing where I didn't think these people were necessary for the plot the that frank castle was going through it was almost like a second home second homeland security series that they were trying to develop like a cbs procedural show and it didn't really need to be part of this but i mean the writing was great and i ended up liking those characters so it is that i guess next we have daniel weber as lewis wilson a young veteran struggling with his new life as a civilian. He attends group therapy sessions with other servicemen under Curtis Hoyle. Weber felt his character was a mirror to Frank's journey. These characters really look at each other, and they both go separate routes. Routes. Uh, I did not like this guy. I hated his face. I, th- I didn't think he was that great of an actor. Uh, I think he was more on the iron fist level of acting i mean i guess he was a good foil in reading this that it's he was kind of a mirror to frank like what frank could be i don't really see it that way i never didn't really see it in the series where he's ever on the level that frank was i get that they both went through some shit and uh, frank turned it to do something kind of good and seek out revenge and punishment for those who deserve it and he this uh lewis was just batshit from the beginning and he needed help and um i understand like being a veteran is hard and coming back to real life is not an easy journey but there are programs out there designed to help you just have to be willing to work at it and ask for help and this character wasn't and it it portrayed that well i guess i just don't think he needed to take up as much screen time as he did i know i guess that's weird to say but if he was on just one episode and frank kind of took him out i would have been okay with that but then it was like four out of five episodes six i don't know more than half of the series i think and when he beat up curtis i was not happy which leads me to jason r moore as curtis a friend of Castle, one of the few people who knows he is alive, and former U.S. Navy Special Amphibious Reconnaissance Corpsman. Ooh, that's a title. Who became the leader of the therapy group after losing the lower part of his left leg in combat. I think this was one of the strongest characters. I love that he... I don't know what I want to say. I just like that he was able to kind of find a role not the actor i mean the character like after losing part of his leg he used his experiences to kind of try to help other people and i really appreciated that 
and I just think he was a he seemed like a good guy. Then this asshole has to come and beat him up and try to kill him or blow him up. Uses him as bait or whatever. He I don't remember. It's been a while since I watched it, but I know he didn't deserve that. He was just trying to help. He was looking out for this guy, and he's and he he did have he did show that he had his own personal struggles, but he used that to help other people and. I just think he's a great character, and I hope he comes back for the second season. Next, we have Paul Schultz as William Rollins, the director of covert operations at the CIA, who crosses paths with Castle due to their time in Afghanistan. So here's he's kind of like the main bad guy that was pulling the strings and kind of ordered the hit on Castle's family, I believe. And I think he made a good kind of villain. I keep saying kind of, I'm sorry. A good villain or antagonist to Frank Castle and I love when he finally gets his comeuppance in the end and he's torturing Frank Frank gets loose and uh Billy kind of just lets him go at it he doesn't get in his way because he was his friend at one point and he's really only working against him to save his own ass in a way and he still wants to help Frank gets some closure, even though in the end that means a fight between the two of them. But yeah, I thought that guy was an asshole, and it was exciting to finally get to see that resolve between him and Frank. Next we have Jamie Ray Newman as Sarah Lieberman, who played David's wife. I I don't really have anything else on her. I just want to say that I thought she was a great character. And I liked seeing her journey as like a struggling single mom who's trying to raise these two kids. And I thought the two kids were pretty good actors as well. But she kind of accepts Frank, or she thinks he's Pete at the time. They have, I think they have a cute relationship, even though uh, Mike Rose is not a fan of it. But anyways, I've, I think her overall, she had a good performance and a good character. Uh, finally, that leads to Deborah Ann Wool as Karen Page. Wool reprises her role from the previous Netflix series. Regarding Page's continuing relationship with Castle, Wool said, Frank has a soft spot in Karen's heart, and certainly with the dark history that Karen has, there are a few, very few people she can share her authentic self with. Frank is someone who she could potentially fully open up to, she added, there's something about Frank where Karen doesn't have to be ashamed of her darkest, deepest side of herself. She gets to be more honest with him. I, I, I always liked Karen. I thought her role on the Darede- Daredevil was pretty good. Yeah, she gets a little whiny and kind of bitchy at some points. But I I liked the way her, develop, her uh, relationship with Castle developed on the second season of Daredevil. And so it wasn't a surprise that I saw her. She was only in a few episodes, but I think seeing more development of her relationship with Castle is pretty cool. I could see them hooking up at some point down the line. She's, they both been through some shit, and whenever he's ready to move on a little bit from all the pain, I don't know if he'll ever will be, but I think she'll be there for him. Uh, last thing I want to mention about the characters is where the hell was Claire Temple? Uh, Rosario Dawson's Night Nurse character. I know, I don't think she ever met 
No, she never met Frank at any point, but I figured, like, all the times he was injured during this series, I was expecting her to show up as the nurse to help, and she never did. I was a little disappointed. Um, You know, Karen and Claire know each other. Like, tell him to go see her and fix up all the fucking torturing and sh- oh, Fuck. And, like, sew up all your wounds or whatever. I don't know. But it's kind of weird. This is the first time she hasn't appeared. I was really expecting her to. I could feel the uh, loss in the air when she wasn't around. All right, I teased this a few times, but now I'm going to talk about what I think is happening next. Obviously, I think Jigsaw will be the main villain with the main mission of revenge on Frank for what he did to his face. And by Jigsaw, I mean Billy Russo. Jigsaw is a character... Gosh, damn it. Jigsaw is one of his main rivals from the comics. And I mentioned earlier, he's created by throwing Billy Russo through a plate glass glass window. Well, on the series, he slides his face down a shattered mirror. And I, I tell you, when I saw that, I actually... I was watching this with my wife, and we both, like, screamed out loud. That had to be so painful. And, I mean, we were, ha- like, we were screaming, but it was, like, of, like, joy because we're like, yes, get him. And, uh, I don't know, we like violence sometimes. I could just, we were just both imagining how that must feel. So, yeah, now, I, obviously I think Jigsaw will be the main villain coming back to seek his revenge. And uh, I think Micro will try to go back to his normal life with his family. But being that Jigsaw knows that he was working with Frank to to expose all of what had happened in Season 1. And to figure out that Billy Russo was behind it. I think he's going to go after either Micro or his family and kind of bring him back into this fight and Frank and Micro will probably have to work together again. I don't see them just writing him out of the series saying his happy ending. I don't think he's going to have a happy ending right now. And I also believe that Karen and Curtis will both be in danger because Jigsaw will know that these are two people that Frank cares about so he's going to use them as to get after him or ruin his his life or bring him out of hiding or whatever. He's going to use them to punish the Punisher. I think that's my main points. I don't know how that will go over for like 13 episodes, obviously. But I think that'll be the main like stroke of the season, the battle between them two. And I am very much looking forward to it. But now that I've done all of this talking for the past way too long i apologize it's time to move on to some beer but before i do that while i go pour my glass well i already drank most of it i gotta top it off Uh, you can listen to a word from the hopped up network if you are looking for more beer podcasts just like the one you're listening to right now then head on over to hoppedupnetwork.com We are a podcast network focused on our local craft beer communities. Here's a quick example of one of the many podcasts you will find. Have you ever sat down at a local craft brewery and wondered how they got started? What the owner or head brewer is like? 
what kind of culture they have there, or what you should have to eat or drink. Behind the Hops is a podcast that answers those questions and tells the stories of the people and events that bring us the delicious potables that we all love. Check out Behind the Hops on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Podbean, or wherever you find your podcasts, and get a closer look at the people that bring us some of the best beverages we've ever had. All right. For our in-beer, I mentioned I have a beer from the Bloomington Brewing Company, and this is the 10-speed Hoppy Wheat. Here's what it says on the website about the brewing company. There is nearly an infinite variety of ways to make good beer. At the Bloomington Brewing Company, we make beers that we like to drink. That's the first rule. Great ingredients and attention to detail is the second. Our goal is to not is not to grow a large brewery operation. Our attention is to make great beer that we like to drink and take care of our community. We've made ales available on draft in Bloomington, Indianapolis, and the surrounding Indiana communities. And we now bottle our beers available across Indiana. Stay tuned to our blog, Facebook, and Twitter to get updates on which beers are available where and sign up for the email at the bottom of the page. Then it it goes on to say, Beer with character. Our beers are full of what nature chooses to create, with a little help from our brewers. Through her single-celled fermentation agents, yeast, yeast plus the best malted barleys, hop flowers, and filtered water from the limestone aquifers of southern Indiana are our primary ingredients. We don't take shortcuts, and we don't filter our beers. Filters strip beer of complexity and flavor, but they are used almost invariably to push beer to market quickly. Ills with complexity, richness of flavor, and appearance are best achieved through through exacting attention to detail, premium ingredients, and time. There's usually no reading the newspaper through our beers. They're brewed and fermented as nature intended, and that's the way we like it. See if you don't discover depth of flavor in our beers that is often lacking in others. At BBC, we are craft. Alright, so this is the 10-speed. And I'm sure that has something to do with bicycles because Bloomington is known for their Little Five, which is a play on the Indy 500. Uh, it's some sort of bike race. I don't know. I went to it one time, but I got real drunk and I don't remember it. Um, but about this beer, it says, Whenever I see an adult on a bicycle, I have hope for the human race. H.G. Wells. Like an early morning summer ride through the Indiana countryside, this American wheat ale is golden and hazy with earthy pine and tropical fruit notes rippling throughout each sip. Mosaic hops bring their unique aromas of crisp citrus and juicy pineapple, creating an invigorating finish full of single hopped bliss. 5.2% ABV, 34 IBUs. I mean, it had it right on. It's like a golden yellow color. Um, it says it's unfiltered, but I don't not. I guess there's a little bit floating around in the glass. It's not crazy. Um, when I first poured it, there was a like nice thick, creamy head on top that looked amazing. I believe I got a picture of it. So the beer comes in a 16 ounce green can that says 10 speed. The speed is like a little yellow ribbon across the big 10 text and hoppy wheat under that and under that there is a bicycle and 
in the background there's kind of some rays of something kind of just to bring more attention to the middle of the can and at the top there's the Bloomington Brewing Company logo and it says fine ales above that as part of the logo on the back of the can it does say it's 52 or 5.2 percent alcohol the 27 IBUs and it also says 13.3 degrees OG interesting and it gives you like the malts the pale red wheat and Vienna and the hops are mosaic and then it gives the description that I read earlier all ales are 100% unfiltered and best enjoyed fresh and it also says drink Indiana beer on the side great beer made here and visit us at bloomingtonbrewing.com oh bloomingtonbrew.com sorry so it's 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 kind of, it's a simple can but I appreciate the the font and I like the bike on there and I'm a fan of the green color too but overall it's nothing special it's just kind of kind of basic really it smells a little hoppy but it also has some kind of like tropical fruit notes in the nose kind of more like a citrusy type smell maybe that's the uh pineapple i would say i'm gonna take a drink but i've already drank half a glass so this drink is just me getting another idea of what it tastes like it's really good it's got a really clean flavor um well balanced as pale likes to say there's a nice hop to it, but it's not too overly bitter. With the 34 IBUs, it's really, really, really drinkable. Almost crushable. I don't know what crushable actually means. I think it means drinkable. But I really like it a lot, actually. I think this one's going to get a high score for me. I love the hop notes that it has. Kind of the the slight bitterness, but not overly bitter as some of these IPAs can be. I know it's a hoppy wheat, so it's not really an IPA. But, it, man, it... it it starts to get a little bit bitter on the back end, but those crispy, crisp citrus notes kind of cut that out, so it doesn't really linger that long. Very good. Very, very good. I believe this is... No, this is definitely the first Bloomington Brewing beer we've had on the show. But I'm also thinking this is probably the first Bloomington Brewing beer that I've had personally. The website goes on to say, In its first year, 10-speed Hoppy Wheat was honored as Hoosier Beer Geek's Best Beer of 2013. 10-speed was named to the top 10 list of 2014 from the well-respected Guys Drinking Beer blog in Chicago. It also was given a silver medal in category at the 2014 Indiana Brewers Cup. 10-speed is rated 95 on Beer Advocate. Hmm. I wonder if that's still true. Let's look at beer advocate and see what it says so it's got a 4.28 out of 5 that's an outstanding with only 74 ratings as far as beer stats go it says ranking is 2253 so it got knocked down quite a bit i don't there's probably thousands and thousands of more beers on here now so i guess that makes sense it's an american pale wheat ale so not an IPA, but it has hints of an IPA with all those hoppy notes. I think it's a little more drinkable than some of those high IBU uh, IPAs. IBU IPA. I'm looking through Beer Advocate, I don't really see any good ratings. First had poured from pint can at into Wisenglass, this hoppy wheat drinks more like a slightly hopped up Czech 
pilsner than an American pale wheat ale. So that's what um, Big Gold says on Beer Advocate. Let's move on to my great beer, which I was told is owned partially by AB and Bev. So if you guys think I should stop looking at great beer, let me know. I'm going to continue to do it just to give myself something more to talk about. <laughs> Overall, it's got a 78 and a 94 style, which is damn good. 78's not too bad. There's it's 28 ratings, and the weighted average is a 3.39 out of 5. Ooh, here we go. My friend D. Westrick from Fort Wayne, Indiana, had this in 2015, and he said, 20-ounce bottle... Tried at random, really enjoyed it. Terrific cross between a wheat and an IPA. Good stuff. Thanks, Dan. That's kind of what I was saying, too. And again, I said my friend D. Westrick because I actually do know him. Another person from Fort Wayne that I don't know, username Hot Stuff, had it at 800 degrees, three fires. The draft beer has a small off-white head that is mostly lasting. Transparent golden body. Fast rising carbonation with sp and spotted lacing. The aroma is wheat, tropical fruit, citrus, pine hops, and malt. The flavor is wheat, tropical fruits, citrus, pine hops, earthy, moderately bitter, and caramel malt. The mouthfeel is moderately carbonated, and this beer is medium bodied. A quaffable beer with a hoppy aftertaste, and it's worth trying. Wow, way to go. She gave it a 3.4. And D. Westrick gave it a 3.3. I agree with her on most of those things. I don't think the mouthfeel on mine is moderately carbonated. It's kind of low. It's not I don't think it's got like that crisp feeling that a lot of these more heavy carbonated beers have, but I don't know, maybe I don't know what I'm talking about. She seemed to have better words than I do. Finally, rate beer, our friends uh, I mean untapped I had a couple friends check it in, but for, before I get to that, I'll say with 4,073 ratings, it's got a 3.65. Uh, my friend Chris Leland, a.k.a. Mr. Gone V6, said, Pretty nice wheat beer, nice and hoppy, with a nice malt flavor on the back end, and gave it a 4. Um, and Pale, our good friend Pale, he had it. May of 2015 and gave it a 5 out of 5. Wow, Pale. You love beer. He had it at Summit City. I should ask him what he, if he remembers it. <laughs> I'm sure he doesn't. I got about one sip of this beer left, so I'm going to check it in. I'm going to go with a 4.5. I think this is a really good hoppy beer. Hoppy wheat, I should say. Like It's very drinkable. It's got the nice fruit notes that I like. And it just goes down smooth. Like I have really no complaints about it. Um, yeah, I don't. I don't know if it's a five. I'm sure. Like there's a little bit of the aftertaste that could be going away. Like now that I've drank almost all of this, there is a little bit of an aftertaste. But I mean, it's kind of the typical beer aftertaste. Like the little bit of the hop notes that stick with you. But aside from that, like I would drink this any day of the week. It's not. I mean. It's winter right now. It's not really a winter beer, but it's the beer I like to drink, so I drank it. So get off my back. I know it doesn't really have anything to do with the Punisher, but it was the Indiana beer that I had in my fridge, and I wanted to drink it, so I did. But 
yeah, I I really recommend this beer. I like it a lot. It's not too IPA, but it still has a lot of those IPA notes that I'm really starting to love these days. So if you're I feel like this would be a good gateway into IPAs maybe for you people that don't understand what I'm digging these days because it's not quite all the way an IPA. It's a hoppy wheat. All right. I think that's going to do it for this one. Let me move on and get my other beer, which is the out beer. My out beer comes from Iron Line Brewing. I think they are located in Ohio. Uh, their website says a train is made up of many cars, all the character, all with character and purpose. At Iron Line Brewing, we wanted a lineup of beers that has the same, a wide range of beer styles that feels distinct on their own, but come together to form an Iron Line. And this is the Vine Street Junction IPA. It says we loaded this IPA up with Citra, Galaxy, and Cascade hops creating well-integrated flavors of fresh grapefruit, pine, and citrus. Food pairing, spicy chicken curry, or blue cheese. It comes in at 5.9% ABV, 65 IBUs. And on this bottle, we have the the train engine. It's kind of a bluish-green. It's kind of like a matte finish, too. I like how... I like the style of the their uh, labels and each label has it i've seen i found these at my kroger and they had like a porter and a, an amber and a session ipa and a couple other ones and they all have some sort of train car on there which i think is a neat little theme they have going and then there's the iron line brewing logo which is a circle with an i and l in it an iron line written around iron line brewing around the sides other than that, there's nothing. It's kind of a it's a bottle, but it's a little shorter than your normal beer bottle. I'm not sure. It's like a little shorter and fatter. But it but it is a 12 ounce bottle. Well, it does list the ABV and the IBUs on there. I really couldn't find much about Iron Line on any of the websites or anything. Their their website is very slim. There's not much information. And I tried to Google them, and I couldn't really find anything. So. I don't really know much about them. They're located in Monroe, Ohio, so that's about all the information I have besides what those two little sentences I read. As for the beer, it's your typical IPA looking. It's kind of hazy, uh, not super see-through or anything. When you smell it, you get some notes, the citrus notes, and a little bit of the pine notes too. All around typical IPA from what I'm sensing here so far. I'm going to go ahead and give her a sip. All right, so what I'm noticing is it's got a really good upfront flavor, kind of like the more citrus juicy IPAs that you, with probably with that grapefruit, but it also has that, a really intense bitter aftertaste that, I mean, you, you also get that with grapefruit, so I'm noticing that, but that, that bitterness really lingers there and stays with you. I'm not a huge fan of that part. But, I, I mean, the upfront flavor was good, so let me try it again. Yeah. I don't know. I really enjoy it about half of this beer. The first half. And not, I don't mean like the first half of the glass. I mean the first half of the sip before that aftertaste. I'm, uh, yeah, that, that kind of blows it for me right there. 
But I think, I mean, some people are a fan of that, but let me look at some of the reviews and see how other people are, uh, how this stacks up for other people. Hey, guys. So, um, Rate Beer, they have a 41 overall and a 16 style, so not so great there. Let me just read one of these reviews. I always try to get someone from Fort Wayne. This guy, the DM, this bottled brew from a bottle shop was served at a cold temperature and poured a head of foamy fine to a large-sized white-colored bubbles that were quickly diminishing and left behind slightly hazy, light orange-brown-colored body and a good lacing. The mild aroma has was malt hop with a mouthfeel. The mouthfeel was tingly at the start and finish was lingering hop aftertaste. The okay flavor contained notes of hop and malt. An okay brew, just nothing special. Spock, come on, man. Moving over to Rate Beer. I mean, sorry, moving away from Rate Beer over to the BA, Beer Advocate. This one says it's brewed by World Brews in California. What is that? World Brews, a subsidiary of Winery Exchange, is a private beer label supplier for premium quality beers from the U.S., Latin America, and Holland. World Brews manages all aspects of beer business, including brewing, brand development, production, distribution, and retail promotion. So, does that mean this is technically not craft beer? Is that what I'm guessing? That's kind of what it sounds like. Which I'm not surprised when I saw it, but it's something new, and I wanted to try it. And my dad likes trains, so I thought if it was good, he likes trains and beer, I could sneak this over to him as a gift of some sort and see if he likes it. But it's not the greatest. Anyways, back to Beer Advocate. The review, it's got a 2.64 out of 5, but there's only 11 ratings. That's a That uh, beer score is poor. It's number 42,077. That's what the ranking is. So, eek. It's really just a not nothing special IPA. Spock, dude. And on Rate Beer, there was also 11 ratings. I didn't mention that. With a weighted average of 3.08 out of 5. Moving on to the old untapped... Out of 1,596 ratings, it's got a 3.22. And this says it's a, a, a collaboration beer with Rivertown Brewery and Barrel House in Ohio. Also in Monroe, Ohio. So, I don't know. Every website I've looked at has given me different information. Not a whole lot I can glean from this. Um, scrolling through... I see an UG not great, a 2.75. I think it was like the Kroger beer of the month or something special like that. A lot of people on here says purchased at Kroger, and that's where I found it. And it was like a special thing I've never seen there before. This guy says not my cup of tea or girl, I'm not sure. This person says decent and gives it a 3.25. We got a standard IPA along the lines of Cornerstone and Two-Hearted. I don't know about that. But they gave it a 3.25. So, some higher reviews. This guy's gave it a 4 and said nice. That was the highest I've seen. Um, 
Brett C says my first iron line beer pretty well balanced with a nice hop finish a 3.5 so people are liking it some people don't I'm more in the don't like it category I think it's just okay I would I would probably drink it again I have a six pack and I'll I'll drink the rest of them I'm not gonna pour them out or anything it's it's just it's just like average maybe slightly below average it's there's so many better IPAs out there this one really no reason to buy it again with that said I gotta give it a score and I'll give it a 2.75 it's right there in the middle pretty much I gave it a little boost from 2.5 just because I like the upfront flavor it's all it's got it's got some good citrus notes in there and some good grapefruit but this aftertaste is not my cup of tea to quote Carrie C I believe <laughs> said that on untapped yeah overall it's just meh across the board oops but I think that's going to do it for this punisher episode I hope you enjoyed this not light episode stay tuned for more information about our new website and rate us on the iTunes or anywhere you rate podcasts. Subscribe. Do all of the things. Oh, hey, Keith. You want to... I'm glad you showed up. But you want to tell them how to get a hold of us? You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at DrinkInGeekOut. You can also check out our show notes and updates on DrinkInGeekOut.us. You can subscribe by clicking on the links on our website or by searching DrinkInGeekOut on iTunes or Google Play Store. To suggest a beer for us to review, you can email us at drinkingeekout at gmail.com or tweet us using the hashtag drinkingeekout. And if you like the show, please rate, review, subscribe, and tell your friends. Thanks for listening, and until next time, drink up and geek out. Proud member of the Hopped Up Network.